you're listening to audio from the West End Community Church in McGregor, Manitoba. Takes place, sorry. He gave he gave an example of how to serve one another and, and how we ought to continue to live and serve by his example and the washing of his disciples' feet. He gave instructions on how we're to love one another, recognizing Judas, the betrayer, and saying, I washed your feet, you who would betray me, you who would deny me and run away. Love one another in that way, regardless of what they think of you. We've learned about all these different things. We're continuing to see the work of the Holy Spirit coming upon his people, God's provision in these things, how to pray is what we focused on last week. Um, But we're just going to backtrack a little bit today and step out of the book of John, actually. As I said, the book of John doesn't take the time uh, to get into Jesus' words around the supper uh, as much, but we want to take a look at, at what happened that night in that upper room, in that meal shared together. So we're going to be taking some time looking at Matthew chapter 26, if you want to make your way there. That's where we're going to be basing our text out of this morning, Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 20. And we're just going to look at the full scope of communion. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So before we do so, I would like to pray once again, because you can never pray too much. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we can be here. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that your word speaks for itself. It stands, Lord. It has stood the test of time. It has endured through different uh, changes of the guard in terms of world powers and social structures. It has remained. It has continued to teach and guide and lead your people. It has proven itself again and again to be trustworthy and true. And Lord, we know through it we get to see and know you more clearly. So I ask, Lord, that your word would speak to us this morning that your word would teach us uh, no amount of study or preparation or anything like that can, can supplement, Lord, or substitute what you have spoken to us. So God, please speak to us this morning. <clears throat> Guide us in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm going to open this morning in, in terms of, of talking about communion and the Lord's Supper with a story or an illustration I think I've used with you here before. If you've heard this before, if it sounds familiar, just nod at me. If you haven't, I'm going to say it anyway, so get ready for round two. Um, I'm sure most of us here are familiar with or have seen the painting, Leonardo da Vinci's painting of The Last Supper. Everybody know what I'm talking about? It's the classic one with Jesus sitting at the table and everyone's kind of leaning in at him with their arms extended. Um... We've seen this painting before numerous times. Generally, we've seen it on, you know, a computer screen or a phone screen, something that's been looked up or on our TV. So we don't get the full scope of what this painting is or what it looks like in person. Did you know that the original painting of Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper is 15 feet by 29 feet in size? That's big. I don't have my measuring tape, but covering a lot of space on this wall. Where's Ed? You're in here with a measuring tape often. Higher than the ceiling. Higher than the ceiling and three quarters of the width. 
this big, right? It's large. Did you also know, with it being so large, it took Leonardo da Vinci three years to complete this painting? I don't know about you guys. I like to think I'm a patient man. But any project I've worked on, house renovation, specifically like that, that's taken more than three years for one specific wall. Good on you, Leonardo da Vinci. Also, did you know that it was painted in a very unlikely place? We would expect such a large painting and what has become such a famous painting to be plastered on the walls of one of the grandest of cathedrals uh, of the modern age. It, in fact, was not. It was painted on the wall of a simple and small convent in Italy. In the refectory is the word that I saw, would be the dining hall, of what is today the Holy Mary of Grace Church in Milan, Italy. So, giant painting, very out of the way in a small, humble convent. What's also interesting about this painting is that When you look at it, feel free to look it up on your phone or computer or whatever when you get home, you will notice that the utensils and glassware and different things that are depicted on the table are not what would have been used or seen in Jesus' day when the meal was taking place with his disciples. When we read in the text, we see that And we look at history, we know that tables were low to the ground. You sat on the floor. The book of John, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is lounging next to Jesus. That's a little awkward if you're, you know, off your chair onto his. It's a little less comfortable. Um, What is depicted in this painting is not historically accurate to Jesus' time, but it is accurate to what the monks would have been using in this convent at the time in which it was painted. The utensils, the cups they're drinking out of, are exactly what were found in that convent that were used at that time. It's almost as if Leonardo da Vinci wanted those who were dining there to feel as if they were dining with Jesus himself. Helping them to realize what he did for them so many years ago and how it was still relevant in their world in that day. The body and blood of Jesus offered to pay the price for the sins of the world. And that's relevant for us today. We've talked about it a bit here already, but a debt that we had built up that we could never repay. A pile of dirty laundry that we could never take care of. He gave his life for us that we might be saved, be cleansed, be made new, that we might live with him and in him and he in us. And so I hope today that as we reflect on the Lord's Supper and as we try to find the full scope of communion, that these things resonate with us and they become true. Um, The account of, of, of the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, starting in verse 20, reads as this. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. We saw this in John. Now we're seeing more. They were all very sad and began to say to him, one after another, surely not I. 
Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl, he will betray me. Again, we've seen this. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. Looks a little different than in the book of John, right? In the book of John, he says, What you're about to do, do quickly, right? And then Judas leaves. Here we see it slightly differently, and we jump straight from this, yes, it is you, this declaration that it is Judas, which makes the account in John even more confusing and kind of funny when it says the disciples didn't understand what was going on. They thought Judas was leaving for more food. Um, Isn't it funny that whenever you ask somebody about a specific story or event, if you ask three people who were there, you're going to get three different versions? It's kind of what's happening here, okay? But Jesus continues, and, and it says in verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread... This is where we're getting into familiar territory again here now. He gave thanks and broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you the truth, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When we partake in communion, we're partaking in the blood of the new covenant. Now, this is a story I know I've shared with you, but again, if you're new, when I was in Bible school, we took communion once and we dipped bread into a bowl of juice because we didn't have enough mini cups at the college. And I got juice all over my hands and it seemed an inconvenience to me until I realized what was actually happening. Blood on my hands. Jesus' blood on my hands, my sin that put him there. When we partake in this beautiful, wonderful experience this morning, we're partaking in Jesus' blood. And it's important that we understand the full scope of communion and what it means for our lives. And so this morning, I probably am not going to go as long as we normally do. I want to talk about five principles of communion. Um, These are five principles that I saw written by a man named Richard Zimmer. Give credit where it's due. And I think they are so very uh, practical and applicable for us today. And these principles I'm going to outline for you here. One, communion is a celebration of victory, a celebration of the new covenant. If you want to follow me along here, you can. Feel free not to. I'm going to jump around to some other scripture uh, points here. In Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11, we see... Uh, We read that, uh, that it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers who accused them before our God day and night. Sorry, the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We're celebrating the new covenant. We're celebrating a victory that Christ won for us over the enemy. Satan and his forces. But more importantly, the true and greatest enemy, sin. Fun fact, no one here today is going to go to hell because of Satan. He's not strong enough to, to force that upon you. He will deceive, he will trick, he will manipulate 
but it is our sin that will send us to hell. And so when Christ wins the victory, he wins it over the deceiver, but he also claims victory over the power of sin. It no longer has hold over us. It might poke at us as Satan deceives and as he manipulates. It might introduce itself to us time and time again in our lives, but it doesn't have to have ownership of us. The spirit of communion is a triumphant and victorious one where we're to be reminded that Jesus Christ has conquered these things. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Jesus tells us to drink the cup of the blood of the new covenant and to do this in remembrance of him. And so when we remember the gift, not only do we remember a terrible day that would be seen to be a terrible day in history where our Savior died, we see power over sin, death, and Satan. We see joy. We see the victory march at the end of a, of a tough and long fight. The Lord's Supper, fun fact, um, we're going to trace back and do some language stuff here. From the Latin Eucharist, this comes from the Greek word Eucharisto, which means to give thanks. The entirety of what we do and what we call it and what we put in our bulletins on Sunday mornings means to celebrate. And so we need to come before it humbly. We need to come before it recognizing the sin in our lives that has been paid for. But with that in mind, we always need to come here thankful, excited. To be grateful and to express gratitude Because when we look in the Bible and we find this word used elsewhere, this Eucharisto, this giving of thanks, 11 of the 39 appearances of this word in the New Testament refer to taking the Lord's Supper together. While 28 occurrences of the word describe praise words given to, to God uh, just in, in everyday worship. This has become a generic term for the Lord's Supper, but for us today, I want us to understand moving forward as we seek to find the full scope of communion, I want us to recognize the importance of celebration of praise and thanks as we do this thing. Principle number two of communion, something else we want to understand. It's a celebration. It's also a proclamation of redemption. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, as we just read, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we do this, we're proclaiming not just his death, but his resurrection and ascension, redemption for mankind. The only way God could redeem mankind was through his son's blood. We needed a redeemer. We needed someone who could pay the cost that we couldn't. And so every time we come to this table, we're coming to it saying, Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died for me. He is my victory. Through him, that price was paid. When we come to the table, we need to be reminded of the specific things that God has done through us through his redemption. Communion means sharing in common, right? The English word communion. Together, As the body of Christ, we share what Jesus has done for us. We proclaim it. 
We own it. We make it part of who we are. Principle number three, communion as a proclamation of, de- of, sorry, of redemption is also a declaration of dependence. When I first read that, my brain got twisted around and you hear declaration and dependence, I think like national treasure and declaration of independence. This is the opposite of that, right? It's not us saying we can do it on our own. We're our own thing. Declaration of independence was an independent nation standing on its own. Communion is a declaration of dependence. John 6:53, Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So when we take communion, we're declaring our total dependence upon Jesus and his power. There is no life in us. There's no strength in us, no power in us aside from him. We need to surrender ourselves to his lordship and depend on him to be our strength. The power of the Holy Spirit given to us, released in us when we submit ourselves to him and let his blood wash over us and cleanse us. The new covenant and the gift of the Holy Spirit, yes, gives strength and energy to the believer, but it is not our strength. I had this conversation with some people at our college and career night recently. Is there a difference between being good and being righteous in God's eyes? What does it mean to be good or to be righteous? Well, righteousness is imputed upon us, deposited in our account from Jesus. It's not ours. And so what does it mean to be good? Can we do good things? Can I say Steve's a good guy and not be a liar? I can do that. But is Steve inherently good at his core and the nature of his being? He's a man dependent on a savior to, to clean him, to equip him, to call him. Principle number four. It's an examination of self. And we read that on the tail end of when we partook here. A person needs to examine themselves before they do this because if you do it wrong, you're eating and drinking condemnation upon yourself. I feel like entirely too often when we do this, communion becomes this gloomy, sad, depressing, found this word that I know Myron will like because he likes fancy words that I have to Google every time we talk to each other. Morose uh, ritual where we all stare at our shoes and just feel terrible the whole time. And we are to examine ourselves and we are to recognize our sin, which was the reason for his purchase. But it's also a time that as we reflect and as we examine, right, we recognize the presence of God. And so in our brokenness, we can ask to be cleansed from our sins. We can ask for new life. We can ask for strength to endure through that which entangles us. We can be somber, yes, but it doesn't need to own us because God is present 
in that time of examination. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28 and 29 says, Let a man examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup, right? As we said, for whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner drinks judgment on themselves. The purpose of this and why this is written here by the Apostle Paul is to teach us to become true disciples of Jesus Christ and to accept discipline that discipleship brings. So, as a small child, air out some dirty laundry with you guys. Okay, I wasn't an angel by any stretch of the imagination. My mom always told me as I got older, thank goodness you were cute because, my goodness, I just was prone to get into all the places I wasn't supposed to get into. And smart enough as a toddler, I'm just waiting for the day for that to be paid back upon me by my sons. Um, My mom always tells a story of me. I would always, daylight savings time today, talk with some people. Tough day to remember when to get up and your alarm clock isn't cooperating with you. My parents' alarm clock didn't cooperate with them, but that's because I always turned it off or messed it up or changed the time on it as a very small child. I like to push the buttons. My mother walked into the room one day to find me playing with her alarm clock, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw her. So without acknowledging that I saw her, I turned and just started doing this on the wall, thinking I could trick her, that I wasn't actually playing with the alarm clock. She had to leave the room, she tells me, laugh, and then come back and give me the spank that I'd earned so that I would learn my lesson. Following Jesus means discipline, Discipline in our lives and how we live, but also discipline being brought to us that we might be corrected and turned towards that which is good. I do this because I love you, my parents would say to me, right? It's because I love you. I want better for you. As we approach this place and as we come to that gloomy place of just like, I'm a terrible person. I am dirt. Look at all the wrong things I did and be forced to own it and address it. This is important to lead us to true holiness, and proper discipleship as we follow Jesus. We need to examine ourselves in the light of the Holy Spirit, allowing God's Spirit to point out in our lives the areas where we are missing the mark. Where's my youth at? You've heard that phrase more than once from me, missing the mark. What does that mean? Sin. The origin text word that sin is derived from is an archery term that means to miss the mark. We need God to point out to us where we've missed. We need God to point out to us where we failed. We need that time of somber reflection that we might experience the joy of him sitting next to us and saying, I forgive you and I will also equip you now to do better next time. This is the time and the place as a a Christian where we take advantage of the blessing that the new covenant brings. It's complete forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. And on top of that, as I said, the gift of the Spirit. All of us are going to walk. We'll we'll sin, sorry, as we walk with Christ in this life. All of us are going to make mistakes and fail. But all of us have been offered the same great gift of salvation. All of us have been offered the Holy Spirit. It 
in practical terms, uh, what should the spiritual result of following God be to fill our innermost beings completely? Can we rightfully expect to experience greater joy and victory in this process of being disciplined? Well, the power of the blood of Jesus sets us free. And freedom is a good thing. We're free not just to indulge in whatever we want, but to be what we were created to be. And self-examination, although momentarily difficult, should always lead to personal resurrection and greater infilling of the Spirit of God as we die to the former ways and look to live more like our Savior. That one was a little long. I apologize. Principle five. This is the last one. Communion is a reception of provision. To take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, we just read, right, means that we don't allow the full power of the provision of this cup, what it symbolizes and means for us to be manifest in our lives. The selfishness of the people in Corinth is what Paul was talking about. When as we look at the Upper Room Discourse, we see a man who lived selflessly, who served, who loved, who prayed. We limit the full worth of the price he paid for us if we don't take these things seriously. The purpose of the blood of the new covenant is that Jesus paid not only for our sins, but for the full provision for every need in our lives. It was made available to us by Jesus' blood. It provides healing, peace of mind, deliverance from our shortcomings and our failures, freedom from fear, purpose in our lives. It should symbolize for us that the blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus, makes it possible for us to receive the full worth of God's unlimited provision everywhere. This isn't me saying, God's just going to give you money and provide for you like that. He's going to fill your freezer if you follow him. Myron spoke on this. Pastor Myron spoke on this last Sunday. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask in an unworthy manner. Ask for that which praises his name. Ask for that which expands the kingdom of God. Ask for that which makes him known. And he will provide. And what's so beautiful about all of this is that we see it illustrated throughout all of these principles throughout the entirety of scripture. We're told to celebrate, proclaim, depend, self-examine, and, and rely on his provision, right? Celebrate. Second Samuel 6, King David comes dancing into the city. His wife doesn't like it too, too much. She wished he'd put some more clothes back on, right? But why is King David dancing? The Ark of the Covenant has been returned. God's presence now amongst his people again. Jesus' blood and sacrifice, the torn veil, his presence available to us now and always. Celebrate. You don't have to stand up and dance right now. I know we're not that kind of church. But celebrate. Proclaim. Acts 4. Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. We can't help but to speak about this thing that we know to be true. So you can judge for yourselves what we should say, but this is what we're going to say. Because we can't help but do so. Dependence. Psalm 73, reading through the Psalms, and we just read this morning a Psalm of Asaph. Psalm 73 is a Psalm of Asaph. If you don't know who he is, I did a little digging. He would have been a religious leader in the temple during the days of David, 
a man who was called to lead in religious practices, sacrifice, worship at the temple. And this man who understood the old covenant and the things that were required of Israel to stand right before God, this man himself says in Psalm 73, my heart and my flesh will fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Dependence fully on him. Self-examination. Jeremiah Uh, who's believed to be the author of Lamentations in chapter 3 says, let's test and examine ourselves and return to the Lord. If we look close enough, we're going to see where we walked off the path. James chapter 1 says, don't be a hearer of the word and not a doer. Don't be that guy who looks in the mirror and doesn't even recognize his own reflection. See what God has given you. See what God has made you as a new creation in him and live accordingly. And lastly, again, provision. Exodus 16, great example. Bread falling out of the sky. Manna from heaven for the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. But my favorite place to go for this, talking about God's provision, isn't just in the physical. Matthew 19, how can one be saved? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible. But with God all things are possible. I'm the one who's going to save you. You're not going to save yourself. This is the gospel. This is the power of what Jesus has done. This is what we proclaim, the gospel wrapped up in this beautiful, cool event that we do on Sunday mornings and that I challenge you to do in that celebration setting like they did in in the New Testament. Recognize the amazing things Jesus has done. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. I'm going to close here with this bit of scripture. Come to me, all you who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's the promise we're given every time we come to that table. That's the promise we're given every time we come to this place to worship. That's the promise you're given every time you come to him to prayer, every time you look at the word of God, every time you seek to walk in obedience. So as we consider going into this next week, the death and resurrection of our Lord. As we approach communion upcoming again, Easter's not that far away. Let's keep our hearts centered on the true meaning of communion. The blood of a new and everlasting covenant, the blood of Jesus, a celebration of victory over the power of sin and joy and peace for our hearts. What a beautiful, wonderful gift. Amen? All right, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for a beautiful morning where we can gather together uh, and we can spend time in your word, where we can spend time singing, where we can spend time just fellowshipping with one another, enjoying the beautiful gift that is your church. Lord, I just ask now that as we close this time together, that these things would resonate with us. That we would see more fully every day the beauty of your word and what is given to us there. The beautiful gift of communion, the beautiful gift of your son Jesus, the gospel that has shaped and changed and saved us. Let us walk out from this place proclaimers of that truth, rejoicers in that salvation, workers in that harvest field. 
Father, please bless the rest of this day and wherever we go and what we do in this time. Bless this next week to come as people go to work and interact with different uh, individuals around them. I pray that they would be lights for you. Lord, I also ask now in this time uh, your hand of blessing upon the offering that's going to be taken in this last song as well for the Deacon Fund. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities we have to reach out to those in need in our community. And so as this gift goes towards that, Lord, we just ask your hand of blessing upon it and upon those who serve and attend in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.